Hey everyone, and thank you for joining me this Thursday. So, I actually want to start off by talking about a comment that was left in the live chat a few minutes ago whilst I was waiting to get going. And I don't usually start off on the more negative stuff, but I have a few points that I want to make. So, the chatter in question said, and I quote, You lost me a while back, focusing on the left versus right paradigm lie, when should have been focusing on what unites us all humans on this planet, unquote. Okay. Obviously, I didn't lose you because you're still here. But in any case, I, I don't change what I say based upon what um, audience members want me to say. That's an easy way to grow a channel. It's the way most people do it. And then they end up kind of getting led by their own audience. And then they never really know who they are. And it becomes very difficult for them to speak on what opinions they actually have. There are friends of mine who um, did that in regards to Trump. They were always kind of like, you know, pro-Trump because what their audiences constantly wanted, and then they were unable to even criticize him without losing mass numbers of people, for example. But on that whole point about left versus right paradigm, I mean, you can criticize me if you think that I'm overly, you know, Republican versus Democrat. I don't think that's the case. Um, but I do think there is a paradigm, and the paradigm right now is rather more about decency versus indecency. That's the paradigm that I'm paying attention to. And when you look at the left, yes, I, I know, I, I use that word. When you look at the left, they are embodying and embracing all the different tenets of indecency and there is the problem with the paradigm and that's why i talk about it because the modern left at this point have what policies i mean disarming people who would otherwise be defenseless so they should be left you know unable to defend themselves there is a policy of anti-whiteism of essentially uh, telling white kids in schools that they should be ashamed of what other people may have done and that they're uniquely positioned such that they owe something to other races. There is the pro-degeneracy, quite literally, uh, movement within the left. There is the drag queen story hour. There is the giving hormones to kids to alter them biologically. There is the fact that they support abortion on demand up until birth. I can go on and on, but quite literally, I, I do see a paradigm there between what is decent and what is indecent. And I, I will say that on the right, they're not um, decent enough for my taste. They don't speak up enough for my taste, uh, especially if we're by, by right we're referring to Republican, which usually I'm not. There's a reason that I don't refer to myself as a conservative nowadays, and I certainly don't refer to myself as a Republican, because I'm not. I, I am a traditionalist. I do support traditional, and that is Christian values, and that's what I spend my time here uh, talking about. That is the, the line, really, and honestly, I do think there has become well, certainly is at this point, a separation between the the Christian values that the nation was in many ways founded upon and what we're moving toward, which is absolute degeneracy and which will lead to the downfall of our civilization. That is what I talk about and that is what I will keep on talking about. I am uh, disturbed by the fact that the American right at this point doesn't have much of a backbone, uh, except for during election time when they speak about the topics that matter, then they get elected and they don't do anything about the topics that matter. So uh, that matters to me. Um, and it looks like many of you chatters feel the same way that I do with regards to the Republicans. It's like, um, nowadays, you won't, I, I never see, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I never see Democrats who are lauding the principles of decency and Christian values. I sometimes see Republicans who do. It is rare for them to follow up on those um, but in any case, there there is a split there. I don't think that you can you can argue otherwise. You can argue the right isn't doing enough. You can't argue that the left is um, in some way embracing those values. Okay, so um, 
to, to move on, in any case, I do want to talk about Biden's recent efforts to target gun owners, because this is, I think, going to be something of an issue that comes up a lot more as we get closer uh, to the next election one. You know, I can't believe this is an issue that they that they push, but I know their electorate, um, the people who elect Democrats, do think that this is an issue that they want to fight on, and it's, it's kind of disturbing. I want to go ahead and show you actually a video clip that uh, the Biden administration, the, the White House, put out of Biden stating his, his stance. All right, so we'll watch it together. We talk like there's no amendment that's absolute. When the amendment was passed, it didn't say anybody can own a gun and any kind of gun and any kind of weapon. You couldn't buy a cannon and when the, this, this uh, amendment was passed. And so no reason why you should be able to buy certain assault weapons. But that's another issue. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there, as it turns out. So first of all, yes, you could buy a cannon at the time when that amendment was passed. You could, and, and people did, and especially merchant ships did. Um, it's absolutely true. Uh, where's the fact check, by the way? You know, from factcheck.org and Snopes and all of that. Um, is, is that coming? Because it doesn't really seem like it's coming. In fact, it doesn't seem like they ever fact check uh, the Biden administration for anything that they say. But in any case, he says that no amendments are absolute. Really? How about, like, the 13th? How about the 19th? I mean, how about that right to have an abortion that's supposedly in the Constitution, but none of us can find it? How about that? How, how absolute is that? I, because I, I'd like to have some changes made, and so I'm just kind of asking exactly how absolute we're talking with these um, not absolute amendments anywhere and not absolute rights anywhere. But basically, it's kind of like the he interprets it kind of like the English Bill of Rights, and I'm sorry to any Brits who really like the English Bill of Rights, but I don't. Um, but if you if you look at it, the the rights in the English Bill of Rights are spelled out, and it's kind of actually kind of similar to the Bill of Rights in America, except for at the end of each one they say like, except if Parliament, you know, enacts a law. There's something to that effect, and that's not the exact language. But there's this like addendum on the end of each you know, specified right, it's like, well, if Parliament decides, then then it's cool, because it was basically, you know, uh, at limits on the king. So that was kind of like, um, that's the way that Biden sees um, the Bill of Rights, it would seem, that if he, or if Congress wants to just, you know, they're not really rights. Right? I mean, that was kind of the point, right, was that these are actual God-given rights, and they were being spelled out, not that they were being given, but that they were being spelled out um, as limits upon the government. So, yeah. Um, there were entire armies funded by wealthy private citizens. Well, yeah, and around the time of the founding of America, you were talking about the military and the people were armed in an equivalent way, right? And they did, in fact, have what we might call battleships of the time, right? That happened. You could buy those. So it's like Biden's entire point here. Like, he's basing what we can do now as far as infringing on people's rights on the basis of what we were doing then when his entire basis of his argument is false. Just completely uh, false. And actually, he followed up. Uh, let me see if I've got this. Yes, I do. Uh, okay, so I'll move over. There you go. This is, uh, this is by President Biden. Don't you love that term? He says, I will keep doing everything I can to make our communities safer, but Congress needs to do its part to pass universal background checks, ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, 
close loopholes and repeal the liability shield for gun manufacturers. I mean, the I mean, I guess we can go through this point by point for now. But with the past universal background checks, I mean, when you look at all these different school shootings, like it wouldn't have it would have changed them in these different cases. They acquired it illegally, or they stole it, and so on. Or they actually passed a background check, because in most cases, the vast majority of sales, you do actually have a background check in the United States. The cases where you don't, when it's like purchased on the street illegally, right, and there's no background check there, and that's the case for the majority of actual criminal shootings, right? The majority of homicides in the United States that take place with guns do so with guns that are purchased illegally, which means that background checks which would only exist with a legal purchase would not actually come into play at all so there's that uh there's the fact that he's uh, on point number two now he's got ban assault weapons and high capacity magazines so we have to kind of like figure out what he means right but by, by inference because by assault weapons most of those here we go on the left see paradigm um most of those on the left think that they'll define assault weapons as basically anything black um, it would seem that if they're if they're made of plastic, then they're bad, and if they're made of wood, then they're not so bad. Uh, so I'm sorry if I don't want to actually make public policy on that basis. Um, they also throw around the term uh, automatic and semi-automatic as if they don't have any idea what they mean, because they also talk about like banning semi-automatic rifles, and it's like that's that's most rifles. That just means that you know you pull the trigger and there's another one. Um, it shoots once um, for each pull of the trigger. And they're kind of like uh, uh, absolutely confused with this. And then there's the high capacity magazines. Well, how high capacity? Like, how many? How many is too too many? You know. And it turns out that is it those on the left. You see, I'm going to be doing this all night now. Uh, you kind of got me started. Uh, but in any case, uh, we'll we'll generally draw the line at ten, um, which is just you know an arbitrary. Let's just go with the metric system. Ten is ten is where we'll draw the line. That's that's too many bullets. Um, on what basis, I don't know, but I do know that I've, I've covered these cases repeatedly where people, and especially women, are using uh, guns of, like, you know, um, lower calibers and they end up having to shoot at somebody who's attacking them and they're actually using more than 10 shots. And then there's the issue of multiple opponents. I mean, I shouldn't have to justify a right because you don't have the need in order to have a right. But in any case, you know, just to, to kind of do it justice, so so to speak, and to respond to his his point. Um, there you are. And uh, then there's the close the loopholes, which he doesn't define, of course, and repeal the liability shield for gun manufacturers. Okay, so we're talking about the fact, presumably, that you can't sue um, gun manufacturers for producing guns that work. I'm just going to kind of say it how how it actually is, right? Because when you're talking about suing gun manufacturers, they're talking about actually suing them for for what somebody else did. It would be like suing Ford because one of their SUVs was used to mow down a, a, a crowd. That would be the equivalent. It's like, no, the vehicle worked, which would be unusual for Ford. Uh, but in any case, uh, that, um, that's, that's the situation that we're actually talking about. It doesn't make any sense to sue gun manufacturers but instead, what they're actually trying to do, and this is obvious to anybody with, with two brain cells, um, is prevent gun manufacturers from being willing to put out guns because they wouldn't be able to afford it. And also to drive up the cost of those guns because these companies would need such high liability insurance in order to handle uh, every lawsuit that would ever come about. 
Okay, that's what we're talking about. And by the way, those who want to make, you know, these all these different guns unaffordable, which is one of the, those that the left really push pretty, pretty hard, by the way. Um, those people who want to make guns uh, unaffordable for the 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 poor, I guess. I mean, there's something perversely immoral about saying that a person who is poor ought to be vulnerable. And I'm sorry, I, I don't consider that to be a, a moral thing. I consider that to be perverse, actually. I don't think that a person who is poor ought to be vulnerable to anybody else. Um, I, I don't see the, the kind of logic here, but I have seen this argument by leftists. So there is that. Okay. All right, hold on a sec. <clears throat> Liability insurance for gun owners is coming. Well, you, you already have actually a lot of people who do have a type of insurance f so that if they um, if they have to use it in a self-defense uh, environment, they get covered uh, with an actual, I guess you would say, defense team. So that is already a thing. But what we're talking about here is whether or not gun manufacturers will be essentially forced out of business. Um, through leftist policies and bureaucratic nightmares because they'd be forced to defend every case in which a gun was actually used in a way that was, you know, illegal. That That's the situation. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a long play in order to try and, uh, to, to get this going. Uh, yeah, Michelle Malkin, uh, I'll, I'll get to it in a little bit, but, but absolutely, yeah. Okay. I do want to talk about Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg first, though, um, because... <laughs> Uh, this has been actually a really big story, and I, I don't know why people made such a big deal about it, but I guess that's it's always the case nowadays when anyone discusses the Holocaust. For those who don't know who Whoopi Goldberg is, I'm so jealous, but you might recognize her by face if you don't recognize her by name. She is one of the people on The View who makes moronic statements constantly, highly emotive arguments um, that's... Yeah, she's one of the people who makes The View almost unwatchable. She's also the person who was on Star Trek and who made Star Trek unwatchable too. So um, there is that. So that's Whoopi. And she most recently made a, a statement on the air that the Holocaust was not racial because uh, it was done by white people against Jews and Jews are also white. Um, that, was, that was the thing that was just supposed to just be, I don't know, blow out of proportion, I guess. Look... Uh, a lot of people don't recognize that Jews are uh, like an ethnicity in addition to being a religion. Like that's how you have Israel as a Jewish secular state, okay? Because it it doesn't. It's not like they have all the policies of Judaism in effect over in Israel, but they are Jews. That's how, okay? Um, yeah, you can draw the line that you know a race isn't the same as an ethnicity and all of that. So, whatever. She didn't say it to be malicious, though. I mean, there was no malice in it whatsoever. And when it comes to this sort of topic, I, I hate being in a forced to almost defend Whoopi Goldberg here. I, I really do. Um, but I don't want people who are, oh, any people really, to not be willing to say what they think about a topic without fear of, you know, being silenced completely, being cancelled, and so on. Like, ultimately, it comes down to, did Whoopi Goldberg believe that what she said was true, and did she intend any malice from it? I believe that she did say what she thought was the truth, 
and she had no malice. So I would like to see Whoopi Goldberg get cancelled from The View, or just The View entirely get cancelled, just not for this. Like, I want people to be free to question anything, and this is one of the areas in which I actually differ quite largely from Conservative Inc. Um, because I've seen several people on Conservative Inc. who were just like, well, anybody who's, who says this about Jews and anybody who touches the topic of the Holocaust should just be cancelled. I'm just, I'm not there. No, I don't want a world in which political commentators are unwilling to say what they believe to be true, even if they're wrong, out of a fear of consequence. Um, I, I don't want that. Uh, now, Whoopi Goldberg, she's someone who's in favor of cancel culture as it pertains to anybody on the right, right? Um, she is. She has been. She will applaud it. So, you know, I can, I can join you in the idea where um, it seems kind of just. Like, I get that. It even seems just in the fact that it's unjust. Like, well, it's unjust in the cases where people on the right were cancelled, so hell, maybe it just makes sense that she's suffering under the, uh, you know, uh, under the auspices of what she would have others deal with. Maybe that makes sense, okay? I, I, I get you. But realistically speaking, to have a sort of sober discussion, if I were the one making the rules here, I'd say, I mean, what, what she did was speak honestly and that was it. And there was no malice. There was no, there was nothing. So I, I prefer to see her get canceled for something else, um, frankly. And I, I do notice, like, you get, the, you get the Holocaust that's mentioned, like, constantly. And everyone's supposed to just, like, I don't know, like, freeze up and, and not say anything. And then and the Holodomor is never mentioned. And so nobody even knows what it is. And I don't know if that's because Christians were the, were the targets of that genocide or if it was the communists that were the, the the people who were doing it if maybe that's the reason but people like Whoopi Goldberg would never mention the Holodomor so there is that too uh, when it comes to cancelling though there's there so many instances like there was a I don't know how to pronounce her last name actually Gina Carano I think the actress from Mandalorian who was cancelled she was on the right um, those on the view tended to support that particular cancelling and all Gina did was say that basically um, that she, she was pointing back to, to, to Nazism too, which is interesting. Uh, Gina was saying that um, back in those days, Jews were beaten in the streets not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors and even by children. And she was she was criticizing the modern world for how we we hate others of, of other political views. It's kind of ironic that she was canceled on that basis. But in any case, that's that's my opinion of of the Whoopi Goldberg thing because it's been sent to me a lot. Um, in, in, in the past few days, because that's the way it is with sort of celebrity media, but um, yeah. I would not want to have a sober discussion about Whoopi, yeah, well, you know. Okay, so uh, Hamlin's razor, never attribute to, to malice that which can be attributed to ignorance. Right, and, and she was ignorant in this case. Um, I, I don't think she even knew that there was even an ethnicity that was like Jewish. I, I don't think that's even... Um, but whatever. Uh, the Khmer Rouge never gets mentioned. Well, any... Uh, well, it's true. And any communist atrocities don't usually get mentioned publicly. And that's the thing. It's... it's <laughs> We're not supposed to even be aware of them. That's, and it's for that reason that people who are considered to be on the far right or on the extreme right, whatever, are much more prone to getting cancelled than those who are on the left. Because those who are on the, the far right are associated with genocide. 
right? Those who are on the far right are associated rightly or wrongly. You can talk about what side you think that Hitler was really on and we can go down that, that rabbit hole about, you know, socialism or, or whatever the hell. But really, those who are on the far right are associated in public consciousness with, uh, with genocide. Those on the far left are not thus associated with genocide because so many people are so ill-educated as to the effects of communism, as to the mass deaths, as to the genocides that took place, including with the Khmer Rouge, right? And that's a real problem. That's the that's the state of the state that we're actually living in. <clears throat> uh, William says J.K. Rowling. I think she, she prefers rolling, but anyway, was cancelled for simply stating the obvious truth that there are only two genders, male and female. Yes, I mean, we can sit here all night and talk about all the different cases of, of counselling uh, in media, but yeah, the you could say that the line is moving such that you have to say a lot less, because when you look at what J.K. Rowling's saying, right, which is basically like basic biology, which is reinforcing that, and that was, uh, that was enough. Okay. Um... I hear you, Billy. Uh, I'm, I'm going to move on, though. Uh, the the White House recently uh, decided to kind of pitch on on this whole Spotify debacle. So for those who don't know, Joe Rogan, the very famous uh, podcaster, had Robert Malone, the, uh, the guy who invented mRNA vaccine technology, had him on to talk about the well, the, the COVID vaccines, I'm not going to go into detail on that, obviously, but in any case, they had a long conversation. I do think it's worth watching. Um, he, Joe Rogan has an exclusive partnership with Spotify, and so that's where his show is, that's where the show was podcast. After that, various different musicians that nobody has heard of in a very long time all decided to, to speak out about how they were going to boycott Spotify and have their music removed. Spotify decided to essentially half cave and say, well, we're not going to remove Joe Rogan's show because he's like the, the, one of the biggest podcasts they have. Go figure. We're not going to remove the, the, uh, the show. But what we are going to do is do the sort of YouTube or Facebook version of, uh, of censorship nowadays. Although both actually go further. But in any case, we're going to put a, a sign there that says, this is misinformation, probably. Here's your official source. Go look elsewhere, and you can look at the CDC and see what they say this week. It'll differ from what they said six months ago, but that's the real information, not the misinformation. Um, yeah, so Spotify issued that kind of announcement that they were going to start putting these misinformation badges and warnings on, uh, on these podcasts. The White House... Uh, decided to weigh in on that and say that that wasn't enough. I do actually have... Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Rogan. I, I'm not. Um, that particular one show with uh, with Dr. Malone was good. But in general, he's not someone who supports um, decency or Christian values or any of that. So, yeah. All right, moving on, though. I'm going to go ahead and show you uh, this this clip where we've got uh, Jen Psaki, the uh, White House press secretary. It's only a few seconds, I, I promise. You won't have to listen to her for long. Oh, here we go. Certainly includes Spotify. So this disclaimer, it's a positive step, but we want every platform to continue doing more to call out and mis and disinformation while also uplifting accurate information. Yeah, I didn't cut it there. Somebody else did. But in any case, um, you get you get the point. All right. And um, so the White House doesn't think that's enough. And she called it Spotify. Yes, I noticed. Um, 
the White House doesn't think that's enough, that there's a, a warning. So in other words, the White House is saying that stuff needs to start being removed. And I do think it's a really disturbing sign whenever you have the White House or any elected official telling a private company that they should engage in censorship that that White House itself could not do. Okay, because ultimately that's that's where we are. Because you know some of those amendments haven't yet been changed, and so we do actually have a right to free speech and a right to free press. Um, right, for now, right? But uh, in in any case, so what you couldn't have happen legally speaking was for the White House to actually shut uh, Joe Rogan down or to you know arrest him or something like that, maybe in the UK, but not here. Um, yet. So what they did instead was issued a statement in order to try and pressure a private company, that being Spotify, to do their bidding for them, to shut Joe Rogan up for them. And of course it's not just Joe Rogan, it's anybody who discusses any topics that the White House determines to be misinformation, um, which is anything that you know it disagrees with, basically. That's, that's where we are. And Let's go ahead and, and upset all of my bitshoot audience. And that's basically um, fascism to the degree that's what, you know, Mussolini described as fascism, at least, when he said that fascism ought to be called corporatism because it's the merger of state and corporate power. Um, by the merger of state and corporate power, that's what we're seeing when we see the White House press secretary tell a private corporation that they ought to step in and silence a private American citizen for his political opinions, for his attempts at, at journalism, right? That's where we are. John Stewart actually came out in support um, of Joe Rogan. And, and John Stewart's kind of an interesting character because he does stay on... Uh, I, I guess he's kind of a, an older school liberal in the same way that Bill Maher is. I mean, I don't really like either of them, uh, but they both tend to step up and defend free speech uh, nowadays, and at that particular point in time, right, when whenever the, whenever the, both of them speak about free speech, they annoy the far left just majorly, right? That's when, um, that's when the far left just kind of chips in and it just like starts screeching about hate speech and misinformation and so on. And it is in that sort of pretext that you can start to see the shift that has happened in just like the last 10 and especially the last 15 years um, in which the left has just sort of abandoned that entire pretext where they were like, well, we're the liberals who, you know, are so free speech that we're pro all kinds of different profanity and all kinds of different degeneracy and you can say what you want. And, and now they're just like, no, you can't say that that man's a man, <laughs> you know? He's a woman. I mean, she's a woman. You know that kind of that, that kind of discussion, and that's how how much the the left has changed uh, as far as the, the sort of Overton window of what can be considered left is. Uh, Random says new sub. Well, hello, good to see you. Um, okay. Um, you will soon win. Fascist censors will soon crash and burn like the Zuckermeister. Um, I think we have a long road ahead. Let me just put it like that. I think we have a long road ahead, and I think that the, but I, I think that the, the way to go is to as much as possible support alternative platforms uh, when it comes to video streaming, when it comes to news circulation. Try as much as possible not to rely too much um, on, on on mainstream big tech 
platforms like Twitter and like YouTube. Um, I am streaming elsewhere as much as I can. Um, when it comes to streaming, there's always just some kind of issues with the alternative platforms. I am using DLive, and I know some of you chatters uh, are on DLive. I do see both chats side by side. I'm also on Trovo, if anybody uses that. I don't know. It doesn't really seem like they do. None of these uh, sort of bigger streaming platforms like DLive are entirely free of problems. Like they, they banned a lot of people who streamed on January 6th, for example. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, Clayton says, I write my local paper once a month. Well, good for you, because that's how you, like, actually change people. I mean, I mean, I mean that seriously. That, that is, it, it, it's through um, interactions in your local community that you can have a real impact. Uh, much, it's much harder to do that on the internet. People forget you and you don't have the sort of reach that you would have. Or the sort of, it's not the reach, you do have more reach technically. What you don't have is influence like you would in, in a local community with, with good people. So yeah, I do think that's that's important. And let's talk about Canada because they've been kind of inspirational recently. And wow, how often do I get to say that about Canada, <laughs> right? I mean, they've been doing this trucker thing. And last last week we talked about it as well. By the way, I hope my mic is working okay. I think one of my recent installs has caused it to be a bit weird. So I, I've had to kind of fight with it. So I, I hope you can hear me. <clears throat> you seem to be able to hear me. In any case, when it comes to Canada, they've really stepped up in fighting against the authoritarianism that has taken hold over there. And in response to that, those big tech companies are beginning to clamp down. So you've had uh, Facebook has been stepping in to get rid of some of these uh, different groups in relation to the sort of truckers to try and organize. More recently, um, GoFundMe has paused the, uh, the account, right? That people were using to fund this because it, I mean, it, it, it costs money to get people to do this and to get them fed and to get them to have gas or, or petrol. Which which one do Canadians use? Petrol or gas? I don't know because they use like half of the uh, British English and half of the American English, which is which is kind of hilarious. But in any case, GoFundMe paused that account several million dollars in, and now they're looking at it. They're analyzing the account for potential breaches of the terms of service and potential breaches of, of the law. It's like they don't know yet. Um, surely, but it, I mean, this is something I actually, I think I predicted last week. I know I talked about it. People who are using, who want to fund anything, who want to raise money and who could possibly be seen as on the right in some sense. Yes, I know. I know paradigm. Um, <laughs> in any case, those people really ought to use Give, Send, Go instead. It's, it's got the same sort of workings as GoFundMe, except they actually have a backbone and they have decency. So I would actually say that even if your campaign, whatever it happens to be, is not politically leaning, you know, um, you're trying to raise money for, I don't know, your local fire station or something is, is underfunded or what have you. I'd still use Give, Send, Go instead because why would you want to fund GoFundMe, which repeatedly um, shuts down anything that is, I don't know, too decent, anything that is perceivably conservative? I mean, GoFundMe shut down, rather famously, the Cal Rittenhouse account uh, or fund for his legal representation. They did the same thing with Nick Sandman's legal representation. Why are people still using it? I mean, I, I get that there is some degree of 
ignorance from some people who just haven't been following it as closely as, as people like myself who follow the news all the time and we come across case after case after case. I, I get that. That happens. But at some point you would think that somebody would say, hey, maybe GoFundMe isn't the platform for us. We should probably go ahead and set something up over at Give, Send, Go. I would think, uh, guys, if you do need to fund something in that particular manner, do use Give, Send, Go. Don't, don't fund evil if you don't actually have to. It's kind of like what someone was asking me last week. Why don't you use Patreon? It's like, well, because there's an alternative that means that I don't actually have to pay an active role in, in funding evil if I can help it. Um, Bike with Love says, why would they fund GoFundMe? They're communists. If you use that platform, you know what you're walking into. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they're truckers. I mean, that doesn't mean they sit around and... Actually, they do listen to more podcasts than I think most people do, uh, which gives them more of an insight into the news. But generally speaking, uh, they're people who don't have as much exposure, exposure as you might, and they, you know, make decisions on... We can, all, we can only make decisions on the basis of our knowledge. So I'm mentioning this to try and inform people, hey, there is an alternative, so use it. Use it. All right. And, um... Oh, also, the trucker live feeds have been censored by YouTube using a new censorship method. I think I have um, a picture of this. I do have a picture. Good. Okay, so this is this is the new warning that you got when you went to go look at one of these trucker live feeds and see the and see the all the different trucks going for miles, right? So it says this video is popular due to limited creator history. We're limiting the number of viewers. Subscribe to this channel to help the creator reach a broader audience. This is the the most weird message I think I have seen um, because it doesn't make any sense. It's like how is popularity a bad thing on a video site? Isn't that what they're aiming for? Like, and then and then they're, they're kind of presuming, right, that due to limited creator history, we're limiting the number of viewers. Well, that's how people grow. That's what happens, right? Generally speaking, a, <laughs> a, a creator, if we're going to use that term, starts growing slowly, and then suddenly they take off, and it gets tons of different viewers, and then they blow up overnight. That's That's how YouTube works. Back when it really was more like YouTube, unless like the establishment tube, um, that's the case. Um, <laughs> it's just I, I saw that and I was just like, I mean, it's just such a joke because it goes against the sort of foundations of YouTube that they're sort of moving away from. Like, who sees that and sees anything other than just like a an entirely new uh, measure of censorship? Because it's like there is nothing in the in the terms of service of which I'm very familiar because I, I'm always trying not to kind of go over their line. So I'm very familiar with their terms of service. There's nothing in the terms of service that would say why you can't have a live feed of trucks. It doesn't violate anything. And they know it. Um, so in order to just kind of pretend like it's not a partisan thing, they're like, well, too many views. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing. Um... Okay. Uh, Patreon recently did the same until the stock dropped. Well, Patreon have been on the wrong side since at least they uh, they came after Carl Benjamin or Sargon of Akkad, if you're more familiar with him by that name. Um, it was then that they just kind of decided to sort of give up on the principles with that they founded everything uh, on the basis thereof, right? Um, let me scroll down here. Uh, it violates the leftist idea, indeed. Okay. Uh, oh, and they, they they made it to Ottawa, of course, you know, the capital. Uh, the truckers did. And so now you have 
some different threats as to whether or not Trudeau, that is the Prime Minister, of course, um, will be pulling in military aid to end the uh, the downtown occupation. These are the not not just rumors, but also that's what the, uh, the the chief, the police chief, over in Ottawa said. So that would mean that they would be enacting the War Measures Act. So in other words, uh, the military would be deployed. Trudeau would be quite literally declaring war on the people. Um, so that would be seriously disturbing. I hope it doesn't come to that. I do support uh, what the truckers are doing. Uh, the last time the War Measures Act, also called apparently the Emergencies Act, was enacted was in 1970 by his so-called father, who probably isn't, <laughs> to destroy a militant Marxist uh, Quebec separatist group, which is interesting. We're also having um, sort of duplicate trucker events taking place. So there's one uh, in Australia, a, a, a bunch of truckers who are going to sort of do the same thing. There's another one going from California to DC. There are a lot of uh, truckers in the US who seem like they've been a bit shown up, like they should have done this themselves, they should have done it first, and they've got shown up by their sort of little brother, that kind of thing. Um, but when it comes to a modern, a modern developed country, um, a, I should say, the truckers do actually have a tremendous amount of power. They have a tremendous amount of power over a modern economy. Um, yes, they can gridlock roads and cities, and also they're responsible for moving things around, right? For, for moving um, essential supplies. <clears throat> Sorry, man, I'm losing my, my, my voice already tonight. So, um, yeah, I, I applaud them all. In, in every instance, all those different truckers that are, that are starting up throughout the world, um, I absolutely support them. Alright, let's move on though, because I have other stuff that I'd like to talk about. Um, I, I want to talk about a topic actually that took place last month in, in January, but it's still important. Um, so it was a Midwest hospital chain that wanted to use an anti-white COVID treatment plan. Alright, so it's a, it was called SMS Health. It's a Catholic hospital system with 23 facilities, and they were planning on putting forth a system, and they, they had this all kind of ironed out where whites would get last service when distributing the mononuclear uh, antibody treatments, right? And then a Wisconsin law firm threatened legal action, and they finally dropped it. It took, a, it took legal action for that to get dropped. And by the way, I don't really like the, the, the antibody treatment. There's a lot of like a, abortion connections to it. It, it no longer has emergency authorization. Again, this, this was a story from actually last month, but I still think it's important. It's important in part because when you think about it, it it's really a disturbing sign because it means that doctors, nurses, administrators were all willing to go along with that. Like it took a lawsuit from the outside to have it dropped. And that kind of reminds me of the sort of system that we have going on throughout at least the United States, but really also throughout the industrialized world at this point, when it comes to um, COVID and the different treatments and so on. One of the things that's been so disturbing to me is not how you have governors and mayors who became um, miniature tyrants and embraced their power. And, you know, uh, that is less surprising to me because I know the sort of people who aim for positions of power. I, I know what they're 
I understand what, that, what I understand the sort of psyche that goes there. I get it. I expect it. But when you look a little closer and you look at the fact that there were people who were going along with this, for example, look at these cases where a person needs an organ, an organ donation, and they signed up and they're, they're either on the list or they've got a direct donation planned from a family member or a friend who's compatible. And this person's going to die without the organ donation, right? And then the hospital, and there are lots of these different cases, says, well, you're not vaccinated with this, this particular vaccine. And therefore, we're going to remove you from the list. Or we're going to deny you the organ that is perfectly available from your family member or your friend or whoever it happens to be. There have been lots of these different cases in which hospitals have basically decided to give a death sentence to somebody on the basis of his... Uh, of his vaccine choice and that is evil but it's disturbing to me how many regular individuals have been making that choice because it is a choice right I mean I know that I know what each one is, is doing it's not my choice it's the hospital's fault every one of them and so there's a part of me that when I heard about the uh the healthcare exemption issue, how there were so many different people working in the healthcare system who were being forced to get vaccines. There was a part of me um, that was like, well, you know, how does it feel? Because these people should have been speaking up when they were used as the excuse as to why everybody needs to get forced and mandated. You know, basically people who are in positions of medicine and who are held to sort of like the, the status of high priests in our society, because they are, that's the way that our society is structured, that those in medicine are in some way much superior and much more informed, I think they had a duty to speak up. And so many of them didn't until the mandates were beginning to affect them personally. And similarly, when you look at these donation stories, there's something that really disturbs me about them because you've got people who decided, you know what, yes, this person's going to die, but it's it's not my problem. It's not my fault. It's like well, it is. Like it lands on you. You're you're you as an individual at some point become morally culpable for the decisions that you make, regardless of the fact that you have other people who are above you, um, who who are who are making certain calls. Like in the very least, speak up. In the very least, say how wrong it is, how evil it is, how you'd like to help. Um, can can we do that? And so many times, like, you'll see the the Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic, these, like, considered prestigious hospitals, right, who are instead just kind of doing nothing. Well, at least the hospital administrative group decided that because a person didn't have the vaccine, they, they didn't get to have the organ that they needed to save a person's life. Okay, um, that's evil. But what about the, the doctor that was responsible for treating him? What about the nurses? Why are they so quiet? Is there no decent part of them that says, hey, this is wrong? I should be willing to fight because I got into medicine. At least I've been telling my friends and family that I got into medicine because I wanted to save lives and help people. You know, even if you want, if you actually got into medicine because there was, that's where the profit was and that's because that's where you get a position of, of, of priesthood in society. Um, who knows? But in any case, you would think that there would be a sort of a duty there. Uh, I think there is a duty there uh, to speak up and to do what is right, especially when you have actual lives on the line, as as we have. Um, 
Scribbler Squire says, Sarah, is your direct donations page still up? And is that the best or less fees way to get send you donations? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, if you also want to uh, donate through doing a live show, I do have a link in the description um, over at Stream Elements, and that will, in theory, change the name at the bottom. Um, unless, you, unless you choose to keep it anonymous, which a lot of people do. But in any case, that's an option to you too. Uh, but both of those are equivalent in, in terms of fees, and they're extremely low. So thank you, by the way, um, for your for your suggestion and offer to, to donate to keep the show going. I appreciate it. Um, St. Miles says, you should see how much the, the hospitals make on organ donations. Yes, I have, actually. That's uh, one of the most disturbing parts of the, the, the industry of organ donation is the fact there is such profit in it that when a person comes in, there's kind of a, it ought to be a scandal. But it turns out that when people are organ donors, they don't get cared for as well as people who are not organ donors because there is an incentive, a financial incentive to um, not save their lives. And when it comes to organ donation, they, they don't want to wait until the body's cold and dead. Um, I did a, yeah, uh, I, I don't know how to reference it. I was going to reference an audio show I did a long time ago, but I'm not really sure how to tell you to get there, so we'll move on. But I, I once talked to a, a doctor, a surgeon, about this, uh, an ex-surgeon. He'd left the industry who was appalled by how these so-called ethics panels, and they call themselves that, um, make these determinations, and it ends up being that people, good, that people are killed who would not have otherwise died had they been given the proper care because their organs were... Um, harvestable gosh this show's getting dark in any case yeah that, that's a thing okay um richard at least you have yourself and your soul intact imagine being someone that got the vax and still got fired oh yeah there's a lot of people like that sharon says don't put on your driver's license that you're an organ donor only inform your family yeah yeah uh, exactly exactly um, Joseph Murphy says, everyone is afraid to lose their jobs. Yeah, hold on a sec. Okay, so let's talk about that. When it comes to people who took a shot or took a medical procedure of any type because they're afraid to lose their jobs, I can understand that. I don't hold anything, any animus against you whatsoever. I'm sorry that you were forced into that situation. It's, it's evil for anyone to force you into that situation. It really is. It's wrong, and it's something I've been speaking out against. And if you made that decision to, to help yourself financially and your family, um, all I can say is I'm sorry that you, that you were put in that really difficult decision. However, if you decided that you were going to play a role in killing someone in order to save your job, I don't share the same uh, sentiment. At that point, you're not simply making a decision to, to help your family. You're making a decision to um, play a role in, in killing someone. And that's that's a bit different, I would say. I would say that the culpability lies in, in a very different uh, position. I don't think that at that point you can argue that you did the moral thing by just stepping aside while someone is, is killed when you know that you could have... Uh, helps them when you know that say you know I mean, all of these cases that we're talking about direct donations we're not even talking about the list right we're talking about there are two family members there 
and one person needs a kidney and the other person has a kidney, is willing to give the kidney, and then uh, a clinic comes along and says, actually, no, that's not going to, we're not going to allow that because one or both of you don't have this shot. Uh, I do think that the medical people in that position have a massive moral responsibility. Um, I do. Um, uh, early bedtime. Okay, well, good night to those of you who are who are leaving. Jonathan Lewis says, they'll put me under house arrest even though I've done nothing wrong. These stay-at-home orders are evil. They are. Uh, they are, and they are an abridgment of your human rights uh, without doubt. They're also ineffective when it comes to lockdowns. <laughs> There's a new study that just came out, actually, um, proving what we all knew, which was that these lockdowns did nothing, um, except for, well, I should say, they did nothing to prevent deaths um, that are attributed to this virus. They did do something, because we know that the, the number of suicides and deaths of despair rose quite exponentially, especially amongst young people, right? Especially amongst, you know, teenagers and young adults, which is the age at which such things, especially suicides, uh, tend to be a real problem. Uh, drugs, drug usage, uh, and, and deaths by drug usage and overdose happened um, along a much broader age range than, than regular suicides, but those deaths took place and they landed on someone's shoulders because these were decisions that were actually made supposedly for benefit and in fact uh, resulted in people getting people dying who wouldn't have. Um, I, I, especially, I know that those who are in Australia have put up with a lot and um, who have been imprisoned in some cases put in these camps in other cases just not allowed to leave, not allowed to travel, there are check marks everywhere um, certain areas of Australia have been made into like actual prison camps. It's it's appalling. Um, Remy says, congratulations on your video. They're still testing the safe. I'm not going to say that word. I've shared it because your message is so important. Thank you. That's a video that's not available on the platform that you're currently watching it on. It's only available on the alternative platforms, which is what I'm starting to do more of. I'm starting to release smaller videos. But they're, they're on topics that I can't discuss on one of these streams. So they're available on Gab TV, Odyssey, BitChute, and Rumble. That is given in the order of, of what I actually like as far as platforms. Um, okay, William, I drank coffee, so I'd be wide awake for Sarah's live stream. That's very sweet. Thank you. I drank coffee before coming on the air, too. Um, JP, when you're all for following the science, except the kind that contradicts your narrative. All right, well, we completely abandoned science in this whole thing and instead went to absolute partisan. And I don't mean to just like, you know, beat on Trump here, but he did nominate Fauci, who is a guy who was behind the very lab that was accused of releasing this virus. I mean, <laughs> seriously. And then Trump just keeps going on these speeches where he keeps lauding the vaccine that he, you know, and his, his what was the operation called? You know, the one, the, the, the Operation Fast Track, that's not what it's actually called, but that's basically what it was. It was the Fast Track, the vaccine um, thing, where he's still pushing today, and I really wish he'd stop. Um, in any case, let's move on. Oh, one of you was asking earlier about Michelle Malkin, so let's go ahead and talk about that. She is someone who was recently blacklisted by Airbnb, Airbnb um, for the internationals, because I don't think it's international, um, is a site where you can put up your extra apartment or vacation home and let somebody use it for a vacation or so-and-so, right? 
Well, she went to a nationalist conference, the 2021 American Renaissance Conference. I'm not sure that's the American pronunciation. Is it, it, There's either Renaissance or there's Renaissance, and I don't remember which one's the American pronunciation tonight. For some reason, I think it's Renaissance is the American. Um, so don't sue me. But anyway, she went to that conference in Tennessee, and for that reason, for her presence at that, she was banned from Airbnb, and so was her husband. They decided that they didn't want her to stay in um, in other people's places, people who were perfectly okay with her staying there. She hadn't done any damage to the place. There was nothing like that. Instead, they were just so opposed to her political beliefs that they banned her. And this kind of gets back to what we were talking about earlier. Because remember earlier we were talking about how those on the right are associated with genocide unjustly, and those on the left never are. And what I mean by that is, like, you never have Airbnb, for example, looking at people who were attending Marxist conferences and saying, you know what, you're not welcome on our platform. That just wouldn't happen. It doesn't happen. Instead, you have it in cases like this. Um, and again, her husband also. And how far does that go when we start canceling people, not just themselves, but also their family members, for presumably having similar beliefs? Because that's what it comes down to, right? And this is kind of like when you, you can tie this into the whole banking thing, where we have people who've been banned from banks. And when that happened to Andrew Torber, the CEO of Gab, it wasn't just him, it was also his wife. Because they're like, well, you both live in the same area. It counts. You, you can both starve. And that's what it comes down to when you look at banking, of course, is uh, the implications don't really stop. Uh, when it comes to, there's, there's Airbnb, there's also Uber, has been involved in some of this. I know that they banned Laura Luma. I always kind of wondered on the Laura Luma case because she's kind of a, should I say loud or should I say eccentric? I don't know, but she has some personality there. And I always kind of wondered exactly what happened. Was there an actual altercation or was it just about her views? I don't know. Um, so yeah, there, there, there's that. Uh, yeah, those, those who are going to far left, leftist events, Black Lives Matter rallies, Antifa rallies, that kind of thing, they don't have anything to worry about in this regard. Michelle Malkin, a, a very calm, sober person who, you know, speaks on right-wing politics at a right-wing event. Um, yeah, and they accused her of, of, of being part of a, I think it was a white nationalist hate group. Like, she's, she's not even white. Not that it matters, but she's not. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's ludicrous. Um... Richard Toth says, Sarah, if you were on a Marxist platform, they would put you on CBS and pay you $20 million. Um, Yes, doing what I'm doing is not the way to make a living. If I was just doing this to try and like make money, this is not the side to be on. I, sh I should be like screaming about all the different institutionalized racism that I see um, and how bad white people are, and I could make a heck of a lot of money that way, I think. So, yeah, but that's not what I'm doing. I can't, I can't do things that I, that I don't believe in. That's why, like I mentioned in the very beginning of the show, that I'm, I'm not led by my audience, and this isn't actually a good way to, to build an audience. It's really not. Like, if I, if I wanted to, to build an audience more rapidly, what you do is you figure out what your audience likes, and you just keep churning out exactly what it is, and then as your audience changes, you get new people, you just figure out what it is that they want to hear, and you just kind of say that over and over again. But you end up in a position where you can't speak freely. And you don't have an audience that really respects you or that thinks that you are a person who 
might have some differing opinions here and there. You, you kind of lose your freedom and your autonomy, and you kind of... I don't want to <laughs> offend friends who do this, but um, but you kind of prostitute yourself. You, you do, and, and I'm not willing to do that. So there is that. Okay, anyway, um, moving on, though. I want to talk about a, a case, because it's starting to get late, and... Recently, there was, a, there was kind of a, a shocking story. So there's this guy, Henry Flank Franklin, who served 23 years in prison for murder. There is no dispute as to whether or not he committed this murder. He did. He served his time. And then he decided to go ahead and get a grocery delivery job by Cornucopia Logistics, which works for Amazon and Whole Foods. Well, they rejected him. He did not state on the application that he was a convicted felon, despite 23 years for murder. Didn't state that on the application. Well, they rejected him, and they found out about his um, rap. He sued. This this whole thing took place in New York. The, the lawsuit took place in New York. And the judge has recently ruled that, in fact, Amazon and Whole Foods can be sued for refusing to hire this convicted murderer. Now, bear in mind, this was a delivery job. Um, so you wouldn't want a convicted murderer delivering groceries to customers' homes. In some cases, apparently, the delivery person is supposed to go inside the person's home. Now, imagine the lawsuit there. Like, I don't even like these companies. But they're in this like no-win situ you know, situation because then they have to decide, well, what about the lawsuit that comes from when they, they hire the convicted murderer who goes inside someone's home and the person who was in there had the presumption that the delivery driver who was let in wasn't someone who served 23 years for murder? Right? But instead, because... And this is one of these kind of leftist... Yes, I know. Paradigm. And one of these leftist policies um, where it's like... Where to some degree, a person who's convicted of a crime is is never sort of... I mean, okay, there's this... I'm trying to kind of walk a line here because I do believe that a person can sort of transcend their, their worst acts. And I do believe in giving people some forgiveness. However, I think that even just any common sense in this scenario would say that you would not want a convicted murderer to be going into customers' homes who don't even know about the criminal history thereof. Right. If you want to hire the guy to work in some office environment, like, okay, you know, sure, um, second chances and all that. But in this particular case, um, it's the most extreme crime combined with the most extreme trust. It doesn't make any sense, and yet this lawsuit's going to go ahead, and it's New York. So how do you expect it to, to work out? For me, I expect that Amazon and Whole Foods will cave and probably pay a bunch of money to this guy, and they still won't want to hire him. And I can't blame them for not wanting to hire him because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Oh, and we were talking about Airbnb a minute ago. Well, I do want to mention an extra point about them. And I realize that this is kind of um, uh, off topic. We'll, we'll move on to this. Airbnb, amongst a bunch of other companies, they're the top corporate sponsors of the 2020 Beijing Olympic Games. So... This, this company that is so pious that they can't have Michelle Malkin 
use their platform because you know she's a she's an evil white supremacist who isn't white or whatever or she she's on the right and she's a conservative and therefore hate group um what have you despite that they're sponsoring the beijing genocide olympics um like <laughs> this is like this is such like social justice activism in the modern sense like these people who are like we're so virtuous that this person who's conservative is not allowed to use our platform whatsoever because we're such great people and this is how we prove our virtue by um infringing upon someone else who would be using our platform but at the same time there's lots of money in china so let's go ahead and you know fund the the beijing genocide olympics we'll have our signs everywhere and we'll probably end up having commercials in between uh <laughs> no! Like, how is this decent? It's not. And the thing is that when you look at who's sponsoring the 2022 Olympic Games, right? You look at Airbnb, Alabama, but okay, they're Chinese anyway, so I'm not surprised. There's Coca-Cola, there's Intel, there's Omega, there's Panasonic, there's Samsung, there's P&G, there's Toyota, and there's Visa. These are the companies that also put the pride flags all over the place, right? These are the companies that supposedly care so much about black lives and so on. They, they're, they're the virtuous companies of our day, or so we're told. These are the companies that tell you that you're, you know, too white in the in the terms of Coca-Cola. These are the companies that lecture you about virtuousness and yet are the people who are funding a genocidal government. Because when it comes to China, there is no doubt, in fact, that they do have their concentration camps made up of religious minorities and made up of political dissidents. That's not even in question. It's not in question that they use these different camps in order to harvest organs from perfectly healthy people, or at least were healthy before they got, you know, pulled into these different camps. And we're not supposed to look at these these com companies that are funding this and see evil, because that's what I see. It's hypocrisy at a gross level. That I couldn't I couldn't look at myself in the mirror um, being one of these, you know, these people who are part of these companies. Seriously. Um, you're looking at them. You're looking at Coca-Cola, who decided to boycott North Carolina because of our bathroom policy when it comes to trans people. Because North Carolina, for a while there, it was, re it was revoked after a while, but for a while there in North Carolina, you had uh, a policy where in government buildings, men had to use male bathrooms and women had to use female bathrooms. The horror. And so you had companies like Coca-Cola who decided they were going to boycott North Carolina over that. But you know what Coca-Cola's okay with? Because they're not okay with that bathroom policy, but they're okay with, you know, Beijing. That, that's, that's perfectly fine. They're okay with, with them after they seem to be getting rid of any sort of reminders to the, the Tiananmen Square disaster, you know, even inside of Hong Kong. They're okay with, with that going on. They're okay with China. They're okay with them as they persecute Christians and destroy and burn churches. They're okay with that. They're okay with, with China and the way they go after uh, kids to make sure they don't have any exposure to any brand of Christianity, or at least any brand that might possibly question um, the Chinese Communist Party. They're okay with that. They're just not okay with, with, with the bathroom policies over here. Same with Airbnb. Like, similar stuff. It's, it's absolutely gross. And it's gross that these people pretend to be so pious and so virtuous when they're so not.
It's it's disgusting. It really is. And so few people even pay attention to it because they're just so used to seeing these companies like brandish themselves as if they're sort of fighting the man. It's like you're not fighting the man. You're on the same side, you know, as the government, as all of corporate America, as academia, as our our media, as our entertainment complex. You can't be on the same side as Hollywood. And, and as the media, and as the government, and as corporate America, and say, we're fighting the man. You're not fighting the man. You are the man. You're part of the problem. And that you're part of the problem whilst you're funding the Chinese government, which is one of the biggest oppressors of freedom in the world, is one of the biggest oppressors of Christianity in the world. And as a side effect of that, one of the biggest oppressors of decency in the world. That's the situation. All right, we should probably move on. Got a little carried away there. Um, but it's all true. It's all absolutely true. Okay. Um, and yeah, you got Krista Esperval saying China goes after the the Uyghur people too. Yeah, that was they are one of the religious minorities that I was referring to being put inside the the camps, and from which we can see the graves the mass graves from space we know that we're we know that they're there but we as a as a nation as a as a government policy have basically decided that because they're a big trading partner and they're really important and our economy depends upon them we're just going to ignore that that's that's actually the policy um is we're just going to ignore that and pretend it's not happening and then in maybe 20 or 30 years after they actually declare war or after they poison our drug or food supply in a way that we can't possibly ignore we're just gonna pretend like oh wow what a shot look what we found we found some graves oh my goodness it's it's the new holocaust that's the way that this will go down and we're all supposed to be so shocked as if we don't know that right now but we already do because we've seen from space because we have the reports we've seen the investigations into the organ harvesting that's taking place inside of these camps and we're just looking away and pretending it's not a problem <sighs> yeah really my throat's giving out because i'm done yelling um john cox says you mean the fact that we no longer make anything in america we have to bow down to china yeah and, and everybody's focused on on the tvs um and the the cell phones and how they're made in China, but I'm focused on the food and drug supply and the vaccine supply, which uh, increasingly come from China. Um, and that's something that few people are paying attention to. Like, we can survive without TVs, believe it or not. Um, yeah. Um, in France, that's a totally different topic. Um, in France, uh, there's a presidential candidate over there, Eric Jemmour. I think I should be pronouncing that far more French than I just did. But in any case, who says that he'll he wants to improve the uh, birth rates over in France, and he wants to do that by giving ten thousand euros to families for each new child that they have, and I think that's actually really interesting, and I think it's I think it's a good thing. Well, actually, I was going to show you a picture of Eric just because you know why not? We'll show you some media for no reason. That's Eric Jamor, all right, <laughs> um, and. He looks so French, doesn't he? Like, just like stereotypically. I guess it's not a stereotype, it's just like an ethnic type. But in any case, um, I, I think this is an important topic that few people talk about. And that's the fact that throughout Europe, you have declining um, growth rates, or sorry, birth rates, 
Uh, and one of the biggest solutions that's, that's suggested for this, for the fact that people aren't reproducing enough to even like keep the, the current population ahead, right? They're not having like two kids to replace the mother and the father, in other words. Uh, one of the biggest solutions that's, that's proposed by those who are the elitists of our society is, well, we'll just bring in people from the Middle East or from Africa and so on. That's that's not a solution. That's uh, it could be argued as sort of genocidal, in fact, uh, to to the to the native people of a certain land. But in any case, what we end up needing to have are incentives, I think, to to life. And this is something that few people talk about. But it we're we're at a point where it's sort of discouraged. Uh, culturally, to, to have children, it's, it's discouraged to have large families. Um, in, in society, there are massive expenses that are associated with having kids. And I do think that offsetting some of that is actually a good thing. And the um, this particular guy in question, uh, Eric Jamar, um, was pointing out the fact that he's offering this 10,000 euros, okay? And maybe he, you don't think that that makes sense because it's tax money and tax money is stolen and all that. But, but hold on a minute, because... In France right now, they're already giving 50,000 euros per year, or they're spending that much, on illegal children that are brought into the country. So just kind of, before you kind of flip out and say, that's too much money, uh, well, it's a heck of a lot less than they're dealing with for immigrant um, children, which are instead what well, the left over there encourage as the, the solution to low birth rates. Because everyone thinks that the low birth rates in Europe is a problem, because we're not able to sort of keep the population level up. The question is merely how you want to deal with that. Uh, Viktor Orban, the uh, president of Hungary, has been doing this in, in recent years and it's actually successfully uh, resulting in an increase. Uh, it's, it's slow because this, this sort of thing takes time, but an increase in, in birth rates. And I think they're at the point now in Hungary where it's like if you if you're a married couple, so he's requiring that, you know, if you want the government funding, you can't just engage in hookup culture and then have, you know, more broken homes and broken families and all of that. But if you're a married couple and you get you basically get funding for, for each child and I think when you get to like three children as a married couple you get like a thirty three thousand dollar in US dollars bonus. And that's thirty thousand five hundred and ninety euros over in Hungary. And again it's it's a policy that's it's fascinating to me. It's something that's actually working. Um, and it's it's cheaper in the long and the short term than dealing with uh, an immigrant class that you bring over, then you try to educate them culturally on uh, how how France is or how Hungary is and how they should acclimate and all of that. And that, that doesn't work. It hasn't been working. Uh, the Night Hiker, what country are you originally from, Sarah? I'm originally from England. Yes. I guess you can still hear the accent. Um... LC, how you doing? It's good to see you. Long time, long time viewer there. Um, Poland is correct as well. Yeah, well, Poland is one of the, I think the two best countries out there would be Poland and Hungary, personally. It's not England, even though I came from there. I'm sorry. Sorry, Brits. Uh, yeah, it, it's, a lot has to be changed. Um, okay, we should probably wrap up the show, but I will say that Okay, one more topic whilst I'm wrapping up the show. So if you if you have comments and questions and you want me to talk for another hour, you have to actually put questions in the chat so that I don't have to come up with what topics we're going to talk about. 
Um, in Polish sunglasses. Where in England were you from? It's 4 a.m. here. I'm in Essex. Wow. Um, you're hardcore if you're still up at 4 a.m. Um, it's good to have you. I was from Sheffield, so a heck of a lot north of you. Um, yeah, so my accent was actually really strong when I first got here, but it wasn't like a, a southern English accent, which people are more used to, because people like are used to hearing people like Piers Morgan as the, the British accent. They're not used to hearing people talking in a, a strong, heavy Yorkshire accent like I did. And so people had trouble understanding me when I first got here. That was that was a thing. Um, in any case, you talk for another hour. You have to come up with what you want me to talk about. But I will say, the CNN uh, chief, Jeff Zucker, just resigned over some relationship that he had behind the scenes and that people know about, but he didn't knew about rather, but he didn't properly report or whatever. I'm not particularly interested in like the consensual scandal um, that, that happened. But I, what I am interested in, though, is that he and Alison Gullist were apparently giving then-Governor Cuomo these talking points so that the governor could take on Trump during this COVID fiasco. And what was interesting about that is, you have to re rewind, right? So get the context. Governor Cuomo is mismanaging New York. He's putting in place these policies that would end up in thousands of uh, people in nursing homes dying. He's forcing nursing homes to accept uh, patients who are positive for COVID in order to, uh, using the excuse that we don't want to overrun the hospitals. So what he ended up doing was killing people in these nursing homes because that's the most vulnerable population. That's where they usually wouldn't accept flu patients and so on because that can often wipe out a nursing home. Okay, so that's the, that's the context. That's what we're in. So he's, he's embroiled in that. And then he goes on CNN. And now what we, what we know is that first he had Chris Cuomo, his brother, as the interviewer. We know that CNN had an exclusive interview policy with the governor, which doesn't sound corrupt in the least, right? That he would just, he would only agree to go on CNN. We know that Jeff Zucker, the, the, the top of CNN, the CNN chief, was in direct communication with the then governor, giving him talking points on how to smooth this over and how to take on Trump. And this was referred to as a news network. I mean, at that point, it's basically state TV for New York, right? I mean, it's it's absolute propaganda in which you have these members of the so-called press, not acting as press, but acting as instruments of the office to deliver the message that, that Cuomo wanted and to basically cover up for him. And yeah, Cuomo, um, one of the Cuomos, um, resigned from the network. But these other people are now just resigning because of um, their own sort of spats and emotional em entanglements and sexual entanglements behind the scenes. But uh, it's kind of like, when you think about it, like that is so audacious, the fact that, yes, we all know that CNN is propaganda, but that level is kind of insane. When you've got like the head of CNN who's like calling up this, this governor and he's like, you're not handling this right. Here's what you should say. You know what? We'll get your brother to interview you. We'll give him the questions and we'll call that an interview and we'll act like this is media. We'll act like, we'll act like this is journalism. Tell you what, don't give any interviews to any other networks. We'll do an exclusive. In fact, just sign an exclusive with us. So I know you're the governor and everything. And so that kind of, you know, you would think that you would be on other networks. 
but just beyond ours, you'll just sign an exclusive, and that way, you don't have to answer any questions by these other networks, you'll just come onto ours. We'll get all the views, and we'll get all the money that comes from that, and by the way, they did get a lot of views from that, because if they were exclusives, um, and you'll only have to answer a very limited number of questions, we'll prepare you ahead of time, we'll know, you know, how to smooth everything over, we'll help you to take on Trump, we'll just call that media. That's the situation that takes, that's really, you know, taking place. Oh, that was taking place. And uh, that ought to be the one that everyone's shocked about. Not the fact that he had some, you know, that he was with some woman. I, I don't care. Um, but that is, is unbelievable. Um, Malcolm is asking about the nursing homes. Okay, so this has actually been revealed since. But what he, he did and several others did, we, we now know that uh, Governor Whitmer of Michigan did this also. They signed executive orders requiring that these nursing homes accept sick people, that, accept, that they accept people who had COVID, including those who went to the hospital. They also sent people back from the hospital immediately into the nursing homes where those nursing homes did not want them. The nursing homes were required to accept these people. And this was a virus like most flus that decimated the older population, especially those who were immune compromised in addition to it. So that was a case in which uh, we now believe thousands of people were exposed who wouldn't have been and they died um, in that environment and they died alone because they also weren't allowed to have visitors and so that was a it was a really tragic thing to happen and more importantly it didn't have to um, so that that's the situation that's what I was referring to with the uh, nursing homes I'm sorry if I glossed over that a little bit much okay guys um, I don't see any uh, enough questions. Let me go on for another hour. So I am, I am going to, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, Vox says, Sarah, this is in intentional white replacement. I, I do actually uh, believe that a lot of that is is going on, and I do think that that kind of. Well, here's the thing, right? It's okay for one side to say this and not for the other. And that's what's it's a really interesting argument because you'll see sometimes these clips of. Um, people speaking at like pro-black events, which I don't care if you have a pro-black event, honestly, I don't. But they'll, they'll start talking about how, well, due to birth rates and due to these different policies, white people are gonna be eliminated. And they'll say that and they'll, they'll laugh and they'll joke and they'll cheer. And that's all said to be perfectly okay. Um, even though that's actually kind of like genocidal, that's said to be okay, but then you get somebody who's, who's white or who's on the right and who says, hey, due to birth rates and these policies and the immigration and all of this, uh, white people are going to disappear, and suddenly there's just seem to be some kind of white supremacist, and they should be silenced and and shut up. And it's amazing. Um, yeah, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Ukraine at the moment because there's not a whole lot to say that I haven't already said said last time. I don't want to go to war with Russia. I don't. I don't want to send our people over there. I don't want more foreign wars. I think that we're in debt. I think there's lots of problems we need to fix here in the United States. I think that Russia would make a heck of a lot of a better ally against China um, than anything else. So uh, that's that's my that's my rapid policy uh, on, on Ukraine. Okay, guys. Um, really, I'm, I'm calling it a night. Thank you so much uh, for coming. I will try and put out some more this week. Uh, mini shows. Do subscribe on those alternative platforms. Again, that's Gab TV, Odyssey, BitChute, and Rumble if you must. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Good night. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider helping to support it. You can give a one-time donation or buy a branded mug at thecrusadergal.com 
Or you can donate monthly by searching for my name, Sarah Courier, at Subscribestar. Thank you so much. I couldn't do this without your support. And whether you can help financially or not, don't forget to tell your friends. Big Tech isn't going to help me spread the word. Thank you.